The time is 10.01 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. And around the world at WERU.org, Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague here today on this uh, quite fair weather November day with a whole bounty of boating talk to talk about. Uh, we're sure we will be getting around to the bounty a little later on, but we have a few other articles to get to first. Uh, why don't you go ahead first, Mike? Uh, we should probably say goodbye to uh, Giffy before we even start, too. You, Giffy, full our usual third cohort here, is uh, home today, getting ready to head for Florida tomorrow, and uh, is just too busy to be able to take time to come over here. There's uh, not as many pretty boats down there, Giffy. We all agree on that. But, uh, you know, if you got the thing to go to Florida, you got the thing to go to Florida. So uh, we wish Giffy well and, and can't wait to see him back in the spring. We are doing boat talk this morning, and uh, we got a couple people lined up to talk to. Uh, ben Ellison and our friend Jeff Gold, who's down replanking the Charles W. Morgan at the Mystic uh, Seaport Shipyard. And, of course, the uh, HMS Bounty sank in the big storm a couple weeks ago. They were headed south, and uh, we will certainly talk about that, too. The crew is not uh, speaking to the press, but, uh, again, uh, reports are and experiences that, you know, we can certainly set set the tale. So uh, right off the top, here's a, a little thing from the Bangor Daily News. They uh, do a daily poll. And one day it was, have you ever been on a yacht? <laughs> now, we work on yachts, Alan, so we've been on hundreds of yachts. Uh, yeah, but, that would be an easy yes. But uh, 64% of the people have never been yachting or been a servant on a yacht, as are we. You know, uh, basically, yeah. that's... You never... Know, 64% of what people? People in the country? People in the Bangor Daily Bangor News area. survey. Okay. And uh, this was a survey of uh, 266 people online. Uh, 64% of the people never been on a yacht. Well, so, yeah. Ain't we lucky, but again, we're the servant class on the yachts. And <laughs> yeah. We get that mo- mostly. So. Our own private yachts are much smaller. Yeah, we get to go sailing every once in a while. Here's from uh, Sailing Magazine. I thought this was kind of kind of amusing, too. Uh, a uh, little uh, blurb, the most useless things on a boat. And a uh, famous British yacht designer, John Illingworth, claimed that those three things... Might be an umbrella, a wheelbarrow, and a serving naval office officer, but I, I think he was putting it to somebody there. I think he had, yes. Some, some other uh, ideas of useless things on a boat, a spirit level. If the boat's sloshing back and forth, yeah, it might not be we accurate. We talked about that, right. Yeah. Gardening shears. A racing bike. Uh, well, I've seen some boats that had pretty grassy bottoms at gardening shears. Uh, 
uh, yeah, I just saw some of that. So uh, a ladder, not all that useful mm, on a boat. No, no. Uh, not out to sea anyway. Uh, turkey fryer, among other uh, useless things found on a racing. I bet bike. you there's some few few big yachts that might have a turkey fryer. Uh, bigger the boat, uh, more stuff you can, you can uh, more useful stuff you can have on it. But anyway, from Sailing Magazine. And they have another, uh, before we get uh, too... Too far away from this, there's another uh, fascinating uh, thing in here I hadn't heard of, but there is a young fella, and uh, he's 31 years old. His name is Matt Rutherford, and he has sailed around the Americas, north and south. That's quite a trip. He did it in a 27-foot Albin sailboat that was donated to a sailing program. That's not much of a boat. It's not even a nice 27-footer when you get right down to it. And uh, Matt apparently sets himself goals, and he goes for it. And uh, so he sailed around uh, in a counterclockwise direction, uh, went up uh, around Newfoundland uh, across the Northwest Passage and down the west coast of America, around Cape Horn the wrong way, and uh, had his hardest time getting back into the Chesapeake Bay, almost losing the boat on Virginia Beach. But, again, he has uh, circumnavigated both Americas. Yeah. Yeah, that's, how about that's that? Quite a trip. Not, you know, there's not too many people have done that because the Northwest Passage hasn't been open for that long. No, really. and uh, young Matt here only started uh, in the boat world a few years ago. He got a you know wild idea, bought himself a 25 foot uh, starter sailboat, uh, bumped her down to Key West somehow, lost it in a hurricane, got himself another one, and then has been uh, you know hanging around the waterfront ever since. And Again, uh, got this boat donated through a sailing program he works at, and boy, went and he came back. So uh, Matt Rutherford has sailed around the Americas all by himself. You can do it too. Uh, another uh, interesting uh, boating thing I think right now the America's Cup has been on the television too. Oh, I haven't been following that at all. Ah, uh, have you seen it though? Has anybody no. seen it? They are racing forty-five foot catamarans at speeds up to like 30 knots, mm. and they're televising it. And part of this thing is it's become very spectator-friendly, kind of cross between uh, NASCAR and uh, kind of NASCAR-y in a, yeah. in a way. I can imagine there's more crashes now with those catamarans. Oh, uh, there's a lot more crashes, and uh, they, uh, of course, catch them on camera. Now, there was one, uh, there's been a couple of capsizes where the boat will go over sideways, and everybody goes into the water, and parts of the boat may or may not be broken, and... Uh, all stops for the time being, but there was one of them, and it was caught on film. The boat uh, pitch pole that did a forward somersault right under the Golden Gate Bridge, and as it somersaulted, it just turned into little pieces, Alan. Yeah, yeah. Million-dollar uh, catamaran uh, nosedive, end-over-end somersault, and... and uh, Nobody was killed, I don't think, but uh, definitely people were hurt and shook up. Yeah. Um, and again, self-destructive. Sure. Those boats are absolutely thrilling. And the closing speeds on these things, two boats going 30 knots at each other, you got to think pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Man. They have limits to the course. Uh, they are, have in and out of bounds. There's uh, penalty lights on the boats that tell them uh, the whole thing's computerized in real time. Uh, it's like the football can put the first down line on the uh, on the TV screen. They're doing that with the course for the uh, when they televise it, and I thought it was kind of exciting. I thought it was pretty well done. Hmm. The America's Cup and uh, these boats, like I say, are uh, sailing ultra ultra fast. Now, 
they're pretty fast, pretty exciting boats. Uh, one of the fellows who was competing for the America's Cup, he now holds the world's record for sailing around the world. And I uh, think it was a catamaran, might have been a trimaran. How long do you think the around-the-world record is right now for sailing a boat around the world? Oh, I got a wild guess of uh, 90 days. 45. 45. <laughs> month wow. and a half, 45 days around the world. Just uh, That's a crude uh, multi-hull. Yeah. 45 days. Of course, around the world now, maybe it's mostly just... Uh, Traveling around Antarctica. Uh, they're going, I don't know what the rules are, but these guys would be going just, uh, like I say, balls to the walls as, mm. the whole time, as hard as they can, and at risk of life, limb, and boat uh, yeah. a good part of the time, 45 the, days. Some people's idea of fun sometimes just boggles my mind. Well, these uh, catamarans are quite a trip to uh, sail to. The uh, wind in your, the apparent wind of a boat going that fast is is uh, oh, right. makes quite a racket around your head it's hard to think mm -hmm. and uh there's a lot of lines and a lot of force on these things a lot of big powerful powerful oh, yeah. boats yeah. yeah they are noisy i'll give yeah. them that and noisy and as i said a busy place to sail mm -hmm. so i found it kind of exciting i uh, saw it on the nbc tv one sunday afternoon yeah america's cup well, speaking around the world, they just launched around the world or down at Lyman Morse just a couple of days ago. It's going to be uh, heading out this week, I believe. I saw that, too. Um, a very custom boat. It's uh, made for a New Zealander yeah. who's been living down in, Maine, in Addison. Which, which surprises me. Oh, well, well world-class boat uh, building down there at, uh, in Maine in general in Lyman Morse, well, course. Well, yes, uh, sure, but I'm, I'm thinking New Zealand's pretty up there, too, in their quality of boat building. I'm you sorry. have a good point. The man could have certainly got got his boat in New Zealand, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a great thing that he did. And, again, the boat-building economy on the on the coast of Maine, we like to brag it up on Boat Talk as much as we can. Yeah. Al and I are part of it. And, uh, Lyman Morse. Yeah, uh, they built them. it, and, uh, again, that's uh, probably a several-million-dollar project. And uh, once you do something, every every time you do something good, it leads to more mm -hmm. is, is the way. So. Well, it's another one of those uh, high-tech boats, though, that, you know, they're relying so much on uh, computer-generated stresses and all that sort of stuff that uh, that they're building these boats from, you know, with all that carbon fiber and everything. It's, um, I think it's a little bit scary, you know. Sometimes just a one little miscalculation and you're out in the middle and something serious can break. You could be uh, up... Uh, up the bad creek. Well, I told you that uh, 45-foot catamaran that did the end-over-end -end nosedive there, that's all carbon fiber, yes, and it went to little tiny pieces. And, again, um, you watch the, the tape over and over, and, and at first you go, well, it doesn't look that dangerous, and then you can sort of spot where, where they go wrong. And, mm -hmm. and uh, ooh. Yeah, something else to be said for uh, good old rugged wooden boats, but we'll be getting to that. During Here's another. Uh, we covered this on Boat Talk uh, last um, almost a year ago now. There's a fellow named uh, Greg Brooks, and he's based in Portland, Maine. Uh, uh, Subsea Research is his company, and he's done a couple of things we noted through the press. One was he tried to get up some relief for the uh, earthquake victims in Haiti. And another thing, he's looking for treasure off of Cape Cod. And he's looking for an uh, English ship that was torpedoed by a U-boat in uh, 1942 and reportedly has up to $5 billion current, current market value of, of platinum bars platinum, yeah. aboard it. And apparently when we uh, publicized this thing on Boat Talk last year, because we saw it in, in the uh, press, 
And that's because he was trying to get another million dollars. Uh, he's trying to find investors. He was doing a press campaign to get people to invest hopefully another million dollars in his search because he just spent $6 million and hadn't found a, doesn't have a platinum bar on the surface yet. And they claim they've had uh, remote underwater vehicle problems. Um, it's not that deep where they're working, 700 feet, it's, uh, about 70 miles off of Cape Cod. Hmm. Not terrible by, uh, you know, no. uh, uh, you know any, any current standards. And, uh, but they haven't produced yet, and they're not admitting they haven't produced anything. And hmm. so picking up that buried treasure, not as easy as you would hope. No, no, that's another dream thing too, isn't it? Yeah, I guess that's the... Uh, uh, maybe there's five billion dollars of stuff uh, just laying around out there, and maybe there's not. But, and again, it comes back to what, one thing we like to talk about on Boat Talk all the time, Alan. It's the dream. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the dream. Uh, you know. Yep, that's yep. what that's what Matt has for sure when he goes around the the Americas. I'm sure. I had the dream about the armored car, and then I noticed the uh, vehicle that follows it around. So even if that dream comes true and the money bags fall out the back, it's still not going to be the dream. Mm -hmm. So dreams are tricky. Yep. Yep. Boat talk this morning. Uh, what else are you thinking, man? Well, um, next month and here at WERU, we're going to be having our annual, um, we'll call it a holiday time auction. It's going to happen on Saturday, December 1st starts at 8 and goes till noon, and there are uh, six nautical items that I'd like to talk a little bit about before we go on with some more boat talk. Um, one, one of the items, the premier item in my mind, is uh, a, a, a paid for a, a course at the Wooden Boat School, Wooden Boat School down in Brooklyn. Um, they're going to have they have lots of classes designed for beginning, intermediate, and exper or experienced woodworkers. And they all have great teachers. And the, we know many of the teachers there. They're very fine first-class teachers. We've spoken about the satisfaction rate of the students at the Wooden Boat School. Everybody over there pretty much has a good time and wants to come back and do it again. Yep. They're, they're going to have classes. Well, they're offering classes in seamanship, boat building, and woodworking all Lots of different varieties of those, and also some related craft courses. And the classes are small and intimate, which allows each student to receive plenty of personalized attention from the instructor. And there's even a family week for intergenerational sharing. The uh, Wooden Boat School is offering one certificate, good for one course, value of $750. It's going to be auctioned off at the WERU auction on December 1st. And our buddy Darwin Davidson, host of Bronzewound, he has a boat also. He's going to give a boat ride. He's, he's done that before, and I bet it's uh, he got a track record now. So Yeah, it's uh, a five-hour boat trip uh, around, well, not necessarily around, but in the vicinity of uh, Deer Isle. It's going to be uh, a trip for up to seven people, so you could play a nice little party. And uh, next summer you could go out to a quarry or you can visit Isle of Ho or take a hike somewhere all uh courtesy of Darwin Davison and his boat. That value was $300. Um, and uh, I should mention also at the BoatTalk.org website, our own Boat Talk website, there is a, uh, a links to uh, all, all five, five of these uh, people that are offering uh, tickets to... Nicely the, done, Alan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the Wooden Boat School is is um, in our list, and Darwin Davidson is there too. 
Also, Miss Nina, Sailing Miss Nina is their website. Miss Nina Coast Island Charters. They're going to be offering, this sounds good to me, a three-hour dinner sale for two leaving out of Belfast. So it's going to be a cooked on board. You can uh, pretty much request what you'd like to have, and they will accommodate special diets. And uh, it's going to be, a, am sure, a fine meal on board the 60-foot Miss Nina. What kind of, what kind of sailboat or powerboat? It's a, a wooden pilot house catch. Nice. Yeah. That would be a sailboat with That'd two masts, yeah. and the little one would be behind the big one, but in front of the uh, propeller. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm assuming that the, the uh, pilot house has a, a full um, uh, a full dining area. 60-foot so catch. You, uh, you probably have enough room to, like, say, have a, uh, have a dinner for a couple people. That's and be, a two, be yeah, comfy enough. Yeah, that's a two hundred dollar item too. Not, sounds good. Pretty nice camping. Yeah. Center Harbor Sales is uh, throwing in a a very large sea tote bag. It's uh, good for not only sailors but anybody who uh, carries uh, likes to tote stuff around. And it's made from recycled sails, so it's definitely nautical. Uh, you can check out their website at boattalk.org. It's centerharborsales.com. And our buddy Diver Ed is is offering. A, a two-hour scenic dive-in theater for two to, two adults and two kids. He is especially good for the kids. It's going to be uh, um, taking place out of our harbor next summer, and uh, it's an underwater uh, diving adventure where you don't go in the water. Ed goes in the water with his camera, and you just sit on on the boat and watch TV and listen to it's. <laughs> Very flowery commentations. Our uh, friend Diver Ed is the original underwater superhero. He is. He is. And Diver Ed's dive-in theater is just highly recommended, especially, uh, as Alan pointed out, for kids. Yeah. And Diver Ed is just somebody you ought to run into once or twice in your life anyway. <laughs> you know, and again, you call him a character? Yes, Diver Ed's character. So right. highly recommended. He's high on the character list. Yep. Check out his website at boattalk.org, too, Diver Ed. He was on the show. You can listen to Diver Ed uh, on a little podcast, too, that you can click on at the Boat Talk yep. website. And finally, uh, Island Fishing Gear and Auto Parts down in Stonington is uh, providing a uh, Grundon's Brig 38 Anorak pullover. It's a, a rain jacket kind of thing, follow weather gear. And uh, that's an $80 jacket right there. It's a good one, Grundon's. So uh, thanks to uh, those six people and anybody else who has uh, contributed items to the WERU uh, auction. It's going to be happening on December 1st from 8 until noon. Do it right. You might even get a Grundon's bumper sticker, too, and you can put it on your car and people think you're a fisherman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have one more quick question, a quick uh, little item before we get to, uh, to Charles Morgan. Yeah. The, this item is, remember the around in 10 guys, the guys, people who are going to sail 10-foot boats around the world? Yes, I do. We had a local entrant here who we yeah. talked to, and, and uh, that never uh, went forward. But, uh, again, it was part of a dream, and the dream was worked on. And, and uh, Well, the dream is still going. Good parts of that dream have been executed, and it goes on. So, yeah, it yeah. does go on. There's a, uh, a Swedish guy. Um, I don't have his name right now. It's pretty much unpronounceable. But if you just Google around in 10, you can get on that. And this guy from Sweden is building right now a 10-foot boat that he's going to sail down from Sweden around the Cape um, Cape of Good Hope and then head east around the world back to Sweden. 
And there's an interesting video that you can see at um, that website, Around in 10. Just follow the links for uh, Sven Yird, Y-R-N-D. It's very, like, it's, it's definitely Scandinavian kind of word. Now, Alan, it's one thing to say, I want to sail around the Americas. I'm going to do the Northwest Passage solo, okay? And uh, you don't even have, you know, good boat or not, uh, you're actually in a boat mm-hmm. as opposed to a 10-foot. A 10-foot boat, if you think about it, is more or less a body fairing, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you slide to the water with a, with a little... Uh, yeah, as little boat as can can fit a body, basically. It's, it's uh, you know, just enough to hold a body is all it is. That's what it is. And uh, in terms of what you might run into, uh, weather-wise, pirates popped into my mind, you know? <laughs> <laughs> They'd laugh themselves to death, no doubt, and you'd be safe. So it right. uh, doesn't... Uh, I can't process that. Sailing around the world is not a gold mine to start yeah, with, no. Alan. And this but, guy is uh, in his 70s, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good um, luck to him, anyway. Ought to know better, buddy. Or, or uh, yeah, so. So let's go to our friend Jeff Gold and check up on the Standing by on the phone? Cool. Mm-hmm. Good morning, Jeff. Oh, hey there, guys. How are you? Enjoying the show. Y'all pretty good? Good. Um, Enjoying the show. Yeah. Yeah, I... What you're talking about got me thinking, you know, what if they have uh, one of these round-the-world races and they uh, go around the North Pole instead of the South Pole? might be shorter, you know? Well, that's true. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, the way it is now, it could, could be. Yeah. be a couple more years before it's all liquid, apparently. Yeah, a few, few, yeah. few more years. Yeah. You can just go around the pole in 10 minutes. So, yeah. Jeff, Jeff, you're working down to the Mystic uh, uh, Museum shipyard on the Charles W. Morgan. You down in Connecticut this morning? Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, I'm not, yeah, that's why I was down here this morning working on it. I'm on the staging right now, and so I might not uh, be able to hear you that great. We got, you know, the power players running and malls going and drills and all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm, I'm trying to hear you as best I can. Yeah, you're planking up, right? Um, uh, catch us up. Does it describe the Charles W. Morgan and what the heck are you doing to her? Um, well, you want a description of the, uh, the Morgan? Yeah, just in general. Set the okay. scene. Well, she's uh, you know 172 year old uh, wooden ship, the last of the uh, whale ships, and I've seen it in print that uh, she has sailed more miles than any other vessel ever. She uh, had an 82 year career as a uh, as a whaler, and uh, you know she survived uh, hurricanes in port and at sea and groundings and mutinies and fires and just about anything you can imagine and. The hardest part of all, she survived uh, changing economic times, and so she's uh, she's still here, and she's been at the seaport for uh, since 1941, and uh, this is her first major overhaul in 172 years. It, they retopped her uh, some years ago with some new frames and so on up top, and she's had good maintenance. But I uh, frankly uh, find it absolutely incredible that uh, you know she's still on original keel, and the garbage are still in her, and you know, a lot of, you know, it's just just uh, absolutely uh, amazing how uh, how a boat could survive 172 years and still be in good shape. And, and she is we're putting some new planks and frames in her, but and cover the world and, and work hard at the same time because the life expectancy of an old whaler when they built it 20 years, wouldn't you say? Well, it, that, that's an interesting thing there, Mike, because uh, 
Whale ships, unlike a lot of the commercial ships, they were uh, they were really built to last. You know, uh, I read uh, Clifford Ashley. You know, the the uh, knot knot guy. You know, that Clifford Book of Knots. Uh, he was interested in whale ships. I think he went to sea on one, and uh, he has a book called Yankee Whalers. And he says there was uh, there was one that lasted over a hundred years. She was still whaling at at a hundred years. She was built in Philadelphia. It's a true love. And there's another one almost as old as the uh, the Morgan. And he says that's one of the reasons why the whale ships are always considered totality is because they're often quite old and that they were built, you know, uh, very, you know, seriously, you talk about these round-the-world racers. Well, these boats were, were not built for speed in the least. They were, they were built very heavily, very stoutly, and they said it was just as easy to spot a whale at four knots as it was at six knots. So uh, they, they weren't particularly interested in speed. They were surprisingly good sailors because they, uh, they had to beat off these shores and operate and uh, navigate in all kinds of shoal waters and so on. And, and you know, I look at the pictures of them, and it's hard to believe that the guys are on them talk about, you know, making four points to the wind and, and beating off the lee shores and, uh, up there in the Arctic Ocean and stuff. So, uh, but uh, they're very heavy. I know, I'll send you a picture or two, and, you know, the frames are... Uh, you know, like the 10 by 10, but only an inch or two in between. You know, it's almost solid wood from one end to the other. Wow. With the frames. Yeah, yeah. So um, they, uh, they were built, you know, the thing that did them in more than anything was uh, the Civil War and, you know, changing economic fortunes. But uh, they, were, uh, they were very, very stoutly built. And I think one of the reasons for the longevity is, uh, you know, they're trundled together. And those trundles, you know, they don't corrode and, don't rot or nothing, so uh, those trolls are still holding, and uh, they used, uh, when they did use uh, metal, there's no screws back then, but they uh, bolted things together with copper, and uh, they, they had some good wood. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't uh, wasn't generally uh, nature or uh, you know, being biodegradable that did them in. It was more economics and, and uh, you know, accidents and things. Uh, well, thank God for the museum. And, uh, Jeff, last time we spoke to you, you were uh, working on the phonics. It's just fun to say phonics, you know. <laughs> it is fun to say phonics. Yes, and phonics uh, part of uh, how you assemble a frame uh, for the inside there. And So, anyway, we got the uh, frame all set. Now we're, we're planking the boat up, putting on the exterior uh, planking of the boat. Which is what, like uh, three quarter inch boards or something? Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty much. No, we got uh, three inch for the most part. They get a little thicker up uh, toward the shear line, but they're uh, three inch thick. Three inch thick, yeah. And uh, they, every one of them gets thrown in the steam box for uh, for three hours, you know, inch an hour. And it's uh, oak, white oak at the ends, and uh, yellow pine and in the middle, and. Uh, so uh, that, that, that oak, you know, it's surprising uh, how, how much you can bend it, you know, when you got to. Because yeah. this three-inch plank, it, it uh, not only has to, uh, some of it has probably got some good bends in that boat. They're kind of uh, bluff bow. It's kind of round up front, isn't it? And uh, some of it's got to bend and twist quite severely, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. There's uh, especially, uh, well, right, right there at the end, you know, the bow is like, you know, the bow of any boat. You know, she comes to a point there, and uh, and some of the turns pretty quick. She's, 
they're really pretty fine below the waterline, surprisingly so, where you couldn't see them. And then back aft, they got uh, that uh, kind of peculiar uh, kind of counter with a with a big wide transom above it. But when they go from uh, running forward and aft, they take a sharp twist and run almost straight up and down there where they meet the uh, the transom. So that that that's quite a bend. It's, it's kind of a head scratcher until I saw one of them go in and. It's kind of, kind of like magic, really, seeing a board like that bend to that shape. You know? Are you putting them on with trundles? Um, yeah, we're using uh, some uh, wrong spikes. Uh, the, the butts get spiked, and then uh, those are round spikes. And then we have uh, some square spikes. They're seven inches long and five eighths diameter. The round ones and five eighths uh, on the diagonal for the uh, for the square spikes. And it's uh, I'd say there's probably uh, mm, not quite two to one trunnels to spikes, but uh, there's more trunnel spikes. And, uh, I well, think, I think for the landlubbers, I think we should probably back yeah, up and explain exactly. what a trunnel is. Yeah, we like to define our terms sometimes. A trunnel is a big old wooden nail. Think of it as kind of a dowel. And, again, it's uh, wood, so it's not going to deteriorate in the wood like metal fastenings do. Yeah. Jeff, you've said something that kind of got my attention. Uh it didn't used to be metal fastening, and now after 172 years, we're adding some. You know what I'm saying there? It's worked for 172 years. Oh, you're asking if we were uh, adding metal fasteners? Yeah, now we're adding bronze fasteners that have never been present. And again, uh, we haven't had any metal fastening problems for 172 years, and now you're adding yeah. some different ones. Well, no, no, these are uh, the old ones that were in there. They were, uh, I believe they were bronze, and uh, so we're, we're using the, the same schedule that they use. You know, we're, we're uh, like every third or fourth fastening is a square bronze spike, and that's what they did. And uh, I think because there was no dissimilar metals, they, uh, they held pretty well. You know, I think over time, they, uh, they tended to deteriorate right where they weren't buried in the wood, you know, any kind of uh, space in between the, uh, the frame and the plank, they deteriorated. But uh, there's still some, some ones, we, you know, we couldn't get out. We're leaving them going around them. But uh, we're using the same uh, same style of bronze spikes they used then. Like I say, it's about every fourth fastening. And then uh, the, uh, the butts are... Uh, Again, bronze spikes, and they're, they're round. And from what the uh, historian people down here tell me that read the archives and so on, when she was originally built, she... Uh, oh, no, excuse me, I was going to say that uh, it, it was actually in the 1880s a, uh, a surveyor recommended, so to speak, that uh, the butts also get a, uh, a through bolt, so that they'll also get a one frame back, and the butt will put a... Uh, through rivet out of, out of bronze. And that was, uh, again, uh, not original, but they was added in the 1880s on a surveyor's recommendation. You're working at a world-class museum, so obviously there's quite a brain trust involved besides your brute force bunch that, you know, wrestle the planks into shape. Yep, yep. I think uh, you or Alan met uh, Matt Stackpole, whose uh, his brother Rennie uh, was head of the uh, uh, Searsport Maritime Museum, and his father was a historian, uh, 
I think at the seaport before before them. But Matt goes back a long way, and uh, he's he's a delight to have around. And you know, it's just about everything there is to know about uh, the history of the vessel. And another fellow, Roger Hembage, who's uh, oh, he's an old fellow about my age. You know, he's uh, early sixties, and uh, he came here as a teenager, uh, right out of high school in the late sixties, and uh, and uh, just just took took to being a shipwright. And uh, so he's also a, a model maker and, and quite a character. And he's he's more or less a consultant now, more than uh, more than hands-on. But uh, he knows uh, he's the one that uh, was aware of the uh, you know told me about uh, the 1880s uh, surveyor's report that uh, insisted they put uh, through rivets through the butts and, and things like that. So he keeps an eye on us. Yeah. Some, you know, sometimes we butt heads, you know. Yeah. Jeff, you, uh, you're you an MDI boy, and you moved down to uh, Mystic there to work on this project and as multi-year project. You've been living on your boat, haven't you? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I got well, it tied up here at the, at the dock, yeah. Winter's coming. Oh, yeah. That's all I hear, anyway. Yeah. And we winter on the boat right at the dock there? Yeah, it's not bad. You know, I got electricity from, uh, from shore, so uh, I can keep an electric heater going. And I, I got independent heat if I need it, but um, it's really uh, it's warmer than most of the house I lived in Maine. So <laughs> As, uh, size, space, the heating is good uh, in a boat. Uh, just for general, you know, uh, idea of living winter in a boat, uh, condensation problems because there's not a lot of insulation between your warm space inside and the cold space outside. So, you know, uh, moisture has to condense on the inside of the of the yep. boat. Yeah, big be the biggest yep. problem. Kind of like living in a tent, except for nicer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, get, I get that problem in space. I got a steel boat, but uh, I get some foam insulation between the, uh, the uh, inside of the, the hull and the, the cabin and, and uh, you know, the... The interior, but I get on my uh, hatch rims and things, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a minor inconvenience. Yeah, well, it's you know, like say uh, all boating is camping, and you winter camping, so and it's not not hard camping on the boat anyway. So, been thinking yeah. about you, Jeff. You'll you'll be back someday in the Morgan project. Uh, how much how much uh, longer? You know, uh, how how much uh, longer are we going to be working on that? Well, let's see. Uh, She's uh, a firm launch date of uh, July 21st of next summer. Wow. That's, that's the anniversary. She was launched on July 21st. Why are you talking to us now? We don't have time to waste. <laughs> what? We don't have time to waste. Hang up the phone and get to work. Oh, I know. I know. I'm feeling it. Yeah, I was thinking that this morning. Yeah, you're definitely starting to look at a calendar. But, you know, that's interesting because uh, when she was originally built, 1841, no power tools or nothing, you know. And uh, they hadn't even laid the keel yet. They didn't even lay the keel till uh, around the first of the year. And they finished her up and had her in the water by uh, by July. So, you know, if they can do that, I think uh, there's a good chance. They, they probably had a lot more people working on it, though. Too. Hey, those old boys were a lot tougher than you, Jeff. That's for damn sure. Yeah. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, um, while you're down there talking with what Mike calls your, uh, your brain trust down there, um, I'm sure the topic of... Uh, Bounty has come up, and what's the talk down there on the bounty? Oh, well, um, probably don't know much more than you. I missed the first couple of minutes of the show. I'm not sure if you were talking about it then, but, um, you know, uh, we're all scratching our heads just trying to figure out why they uh, set out 
you know, three days before the storm when the storm was forecast. And uh, really can't answer that. But uh, oh, it was interesting. I, I was talking to my friend Richard in uh, at Booth Bay, and uh, he, he was kind of bummed because he said, you know, Booth Bay is kind of attached to her because she's done a lot, most of her uh, yard work at uh, uh, samples, ten, you know. So she's pretty well known around there, and a lot of people there worked on her. And then, you know, I don't know if you, you know, I, I'll just say what he said, more or less more words, but uh, he said, uh, well, you, you know, she's built pretty rough there down Nova Scotia because, uh, you know, she's only supposed to last for a couple of years, you know. Just made for movie set, and they were planning on burning her as part of the movie. You know, it, it, when they finished the movie, they said Marlon Brando fell in love with her. You know, and and he bought her and wouldn't let him burn her. He made him burn a model instead. So, you know, um, she was, uh, you know, um, she wasn't built to last. I don't think when she was built. I, I, that sounds kind of harsh, but uh, and I think they've done a lot of good work to her over the years. But uh, you know, um, the original bounty, you know. Why he he set out to go around the horn in the winter time? And he he was a stubborn guy. Apparently, he, for two months he tried to go around the horn, and kind of gave up, went around the other way. You know, so I think that bounty was pretty stout. But uh, you know, this one, like I say, is really only made, you know, built to be a movie prop. You know, so I don't think she was really fit for uh, the kind of weather she was out in. But I mean, I don't want to make that kind of judgment, and I don't know all the facts. You know, and I, you know, I I, I don't really know. You know, no one. No one really knows at this point, but it's going to be interesting to read when uh, they start talking to, uh, you know, the people shoreside and, you know, how the decisions were made and so on. It's, yep. it's really a shame. It is a shame. You ever, you, you guys want to see her? I've only seen her picture. She was in the one before she left, and one of the guys here knew some people, and he went over, and I, I hear she's looking real nice, but I'd always seen pictures of her. She looked, she looked quite lovely. I got a good tour aboard in, in uh, Castine at the dock, and, and my impression of her running around below decks was, uh, I thought, hunky, okay? Uh, you look at the beams and the knees in particular, and you say, that's a good big hunk of wood uh, yeah. for for this vessel here. And she looked to be very solidly put together. But, again, we'll probably spend the next 20 minutes talking about that, Jeff. And awful good to talk to you this morning. When well, we uh, like mentioned the bounty, the phones have kind of uh, lit up here. So, Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Good talking to you. Yeah, it was great, uh, great talking to you guys. Enjoy the heck out of your show. All right. Keep up the work. And I posted uh, the pictures from Jeff of the Morgan on the boattalk.org website, too, for anybody who'd like to see them. Yeah. Now, what is happening on the phone there, Al? <clears throat> uh, do we have a phone call? Yes, we do. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Usual suspect, Fred, in Tennis Harbor. Hey, Fred. Morning, Fred. Hey, I, I got a, uh, an idea of why they set out when they shouldn't have. Maybe I mentioned it before. Here's Biorhythm. I've checked them out, and it's 100% with me. And uh, so I throw that in for what it's worth, and I uh, look forward to the rest of your show. Thanks, Fred. I think there, it's uh, fairly obvious why they set out, and uh, I think the captain was replaying one of his greatest hits. And, again, I had a pretty nice visit aboard the uh, Bounty when it was down to Castine. The first thing that we ought to establish about the HMS Bounty is that the captain was very well regarded. Uh, the crew loved him. They, they had a lot of respect from the crew of that boat. And also the crew loved what they did there, and there was a very high re-sign and up rate. Matter of fact, there was competition to uh, for those crew spots. So, uh, again, uh, he was uh, pretty well respected there. He had successful... 
um, experience in the past of getting a ride south around a storm. And if you think of the big pinwheel of that storm, if you go out on the outer outer side of it and you stay on the right side of the storm and you want to get uh, from here to south, it could be a big boost and, and you can get quite a kick in the pants and get quite a ride south. If you do it right, the idea is that you'll be in some bad weather for maybe 24 hours but nothing extreme and, and a little sloppy on either side and uh, you'll skirt the storm and get around. He had done that in his career previously. And I think that his idea was uh, that the boat had to be in St. Petersburg, Florida. They give tours down there. That's how they make their living. They also had, I believe, five paying passengers aboard the vessel. They paid $500 to to ride the boat down to Florida. Um, <laughs> people, time. Uh, you know, there is there is time pressure there, even on an old square rigger. So the captain thought that he would skirt that storm, and he'd done it before. Now, the error is here, and obviously, you know, in the way it turned out, it's an error. It was a bad decision, is that not this storm. And I read, for instance, Captain Daniel Moreland. He's the captain of the Picton Castle, another square rigger. Um, he would sometimes consider such a thing, taking a boat to sea to keep it safe in a storm is a well-known tactic, as opposed to tying it up to a pier and getting it beat to death next to the land, you know. Uh, but uh, Daniel Moreland from the Picton Castle, he says, not this storm, too too big, too well predicted, wouldn't have considered it for a minute. It was very big. Yeah, so uh, Ro- uh, Robert, Captain Robin, his uh, peers, like I say, not all of them would agree with that decision, which in retrospect turns out not to have been a good one. Mm-hmm. But he was looking for a, a, a kick in the butt south, and he was going to reprise Again, successful experience he'd had in the past. Um, They got out there, and the uh, conditions were not really that extreme when they were picked up. It was 40 knots of wind and 18-foot seas. Now, that's kind of bad, but it's not not terrible, terrible. And the problem is that at 6 o'clock at night, while the boat has started leaking, it's getting dark, the engines stop. And those engines needed a bit of looking out for um, now the engines have stopped uh, just as it's getting dark, and water is coming into the hold. So they spent the whole night. They called the mayday at nine o'clock at night, and at nine o'clock in the morning, the boat went under. They were uh, picked up. Uh, basically, went into the life rafts at dawn. Uh, Fourteen, uh, sixteen people aboard. Fourteen come back. Uh, they lost a lady and the captain. Uh, three people did not successfully enter the life rafts. But one person was retrieved into the life rafts, and the captain and another lady uh, were not. They found the lady. We haven't found the captain yet. Those are the just general facts. Phones right. ringing. Yes, we do have a, a, several phone calls. Let's go to the next one. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, guys. It's Greg Mancock. Hi, Greg. I got a rather stupid, might seem like a stupid question, considering the life and death issues you're talking about. But, uh... uh you were talking. You always talk about the HMS Bounty. Now, is it a British registered boat, or no. is that just part of its name? That's its name. Uh, okay. As a historical artifact, As a matter of fact, is a good point, Gray. It has an American flag on it. And as we're speaking of the condition of this boat, it was never meant to last. It's meant as a movie prop. I have more information. It wasn't meant on to that. last twenty years, even. But it has been extensively 
uh, what would you call it, uh, overseen by the Coast Guard, has been all over that boat, uh, certified by the Coast Guard, and heavily inspected. The Coast Guard, in my opinion, are not the best boat surveyors in the world. However, they do have rigorous uh, regulations, and it was subject to them, and they met them. So the boat was uh, well-maintained. But, uh, again, we speak of uh, the Charles W. Morgan bolting all those big pieces of wood together. You have to imagine how flexible that boat is. And we've t- now we're in 20-foot seas. The boat is moving. Those big pieces of wood are moving against each other. And uh, it's not a solid hunk of wood. And as the... Uh, Planks move against each other. Maybe a seam opens, you know. Mm. Uh, Quite likely. Yeah, and then the boat starts leaking. But, uh, again, uh, we have, doing boat deliveries, one of our rules is not to shake the boat up. And the joke is we don't want to get shook up, but you don't want to shake the boat up. And, again, a wooden boat is going to work, and the engines failed. Now, when you shake the fuel system up, you do that at your own peril. If you're operating cruddy diesel tanks and they're just sitting in your basement and never get shook up, well, you know, that might be fine until your filter clogs, but let's let's shake it up and down 20 feet at a time mm-hmm. and see if we get some crud in the line. That's, that's again, uh, well-known. It happens all the time. Well, um, I'll quickly throw in some information on the condition of the boat uh, structurally. I spoke with Eric Graves down at the... Um, at the at the uh, Booth Bay Boatyard, where the boat has been serviced quite quite a bit recently, and they uh, put on a whole new bottom in the year 2000. Eric Graves says that they, uh, when they first got the boat, it was, as we thought, kind of poorly built with junk wood because they didn't expect it to be uh, very long-lived. But when they replaced the bottom, they replaced it with uh, white oak and uh, three-inch oak planks, so the, the bottom on the boat is... Fairly good, although it probably hasn't been recocked since 2000, so there might be an issue there. Um, but uh, Again, they uh, shouldn't have been out there. They shook the boat up. That shook uh, something loose so that the boat light leaked. That messed up the engines so that they couldn't pump the boat out. Nowadays, we're not going to take a sail and try to put it under the bottom of the boat and lash it on. We're not going to have uh, the crew kids diving into the hold to try to plug the holes from the inside. It's too dangerous nowadays. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, it's not that fun to get into a life raft either or that easy is basically what they proved. And the telephone's ringing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And We're I, doing boat talk I, here I think we have Ben we, Ellison on the phone. Yep. Nope, nope, we have another phone call. So let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Well, I assume you guys are talking to me now. Ah, hi, Michael. <laughs> so, friend Michael from Stonington. Yeah, well, you know, I couldn't help but chime in on this. I uh, Chime in? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, no chimes on that vessel, though. Um, yeah, I, I know, you, you know, this thing has, has all been sensationalized. One of the things I have to tell you I despair about, in fact, I think even your friend gave the, the length of the Morgan, from tip to tip, but you know this, the bounty was was advertised as a 200 footer, and it's not. It's 120 feet on deck, and even that's bigger than the original, which was only 91 feet. Right. And uh, and carried by the way, 44 officers and men, not not 16. And and the original was a Whitby Collier, an incredibly uh, a, a civilian ship, really bought by the Navy, a, an incredibly homely um, coal carrying vessel meant to take ground and yeah, really ponderous. But I think this was really an ill-advised 
move. And, and as far as getting a boost, there was no way he was going to get a boost from this maneuver because this is a counterclockwise storm, right? So he can't go on the inside of it because he's got Cape Hatteras where he would get the kick in the butt and down the coast where he wanted to go. So he's got to go around the outside into the dangerous semicircle of the storm, and he's going to end up with the waves and the wind in his teeth in a vessel with a huge amount of top hamper. And, um, you know, uh, Daniel Moreland can be a fairly uh, outspoken, controversial character, but I have to say he... You know, he's proved himself to be an extremely prudent mariner, and I think he hit the nail right on the head. And, you know, I think this was a lot of hooey, a lot of nonsense that, that was put out there by a lot of people that, well, the safe place for, for a ship is at sea. Well, yeah, the forest all maybe, but, you know, an aircraft carrier, but good God, read the book Typhoon um, about Halsey's encounter in the Pacific during World War II, and you know, 325-foot World War II destroyers manned by some of the finest professionals in the world foundered. And, uh, now this, this guy should have, I know what I would have done. I would have got in it, fired up those diesels, steamed right into New Bedford behind the Hurricane Dyke, put down all the anchors, and poured myself a drink and waited till it was all over. Hope for the best. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you know, you got no, you, you, it's going to blow, but the dike's going to push the wind up over you, and there's going to be no sea and no fetch, and, and I think you would have been just fine in there. I, I, it's, I think it was a damn shame. And, you know, you can't replace the lives lost. The bottom line is, right, even if the thing had sunk, battered itself against the dock, no one would have died. And, um, yeah, I, I think it was a really – it's too bad because the guy seemed much loved. Well, and, that um, – that's the other dimension, Michael, is uh, not only did, you know, he lead them out there, they did not bring him back. No. And that's quite a story right there. Uh, now, you can lose track of different people in an emergency situation, but not the captain. No, no. And again, once we get in life rafts, those life rafts are five people in one life raft, nine in the other. Those life rafts are quite subject to being blown away. Yep. And uh, the uh, idea is that three people ended up being knocked off the deck of the boat into the water. One person was able to get to the life rafts. It's not a question of they're going to paddle the life raft over to, you know, somebody who's being blown away No, um, at a different rate from the life raft. So, again, not as easy as you would think to, you know, there we are. Let's all, no, it's not quite that simple. But, again, that's what happened. So they, and, lo they lost the captain. And, you know, the, this vessel, I'm quite familiar with Smith & Ruland. In fact, a friend of mine had his schooner built there back in the early 70s. And, um, but they would if you, you know, they, they built the Blue Nose, too. It's all planked in pine. They'd use birch. And, they, they, oh, they, they, you know, my, my, my late friend Peter, he, he, when he, when they framed up his boat, he went up there with all the planking and the, and, and the mahogany and the teak he bought down here and trucked up there because they wanted to plank his boat in pine. And they had the horn timber was a great big piece of maple. And he said, no. no. Not it's, boat building. Uh, get that lumber, out of there. And but uh, what they have further down east, they used. Uh, the, and that's how, especially down in Newfoundland, would be the greatest example. You know, Yeah, if it's wood, of, they throw it in there. Yeah, and inappropriate for longevity. Yep. Uh, but yep. 
Yeah. And the bounty was originally planked in pine. Yeah, exactly. No, not meant as meant as a as a prop. As your guy said at the earlier call, yeah, a movie prop. And it looked too much like a boat, and it got somebody dreaming. Once again, back to the dream. Marlon Brando, how you doing today, buddy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think was, this is a damn shame, and they need to. People need to take a lesson from from this. You know, you you don't want to screw around with things. Daniel Mullen was on the money. He said, you know, this. This was a well-publicized, well-advertised event, and the only place to be is safe in port. And, uh, and that guy's been around the world a bunch of times now on that vessel that he that, that he skippers, the Picton Castle. Yeah, so. let's talk literature for a minute before we uh, let you go, Michael. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just reread uh, uh, Pitcairn Island, the, the uh, third part of the Bounty Trilogy. Uh-huh. off and Hall, uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, Men Against the Sea, and Pitcairn's Island. Boy, that holds up pretty good. That's the end of the real bounty is in that novel there. And I have a book here. Uh, it's called The Bounty by Carolyn Alexander. And basically she's done a historical overview of the entire story and a lot of research on the people and, and uh, you know, backstories on everything. And quite well done. The Bounty, Carolyn Alexander. She also wrote The Endurance, about the Shackleton story oh, as well. I've got that one, yeah. Yeah, Carolyn yeah. Alexander is a great overview of the whole Bounty story, if you're interested. But huh. those novels hold up pretty damn good, I thought. Well, very well done. Don't think I've done Pitcairn Island. I'll put that on my list. Oh, it's not even a big book, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'll let you gentlemen go, and thanks again for a great show. Always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, All right. hunkering down for the winter, I guess. Thank you, Michael. And we have yet one more call to squeak in before the very end of Boat Talk. Good morning, and welcome to Boat Talk. Yes, Haviland. Um, Hi, Haviland. How are you doing? Good. Um, I don't want to make any judgments on this whole thing, but I find it interesting that they're going offshore in these vessels with Almost no crew in relation to what they used to have. You talk about dealing with engines and all that kind of stuff. That they had what a hundred guys on that boat. Usually? Yeah, and you could you could work them to death at the pumps. Uh, you could work them to death on the pumps because the helicopter was never going to come. It wasn't going to come, so <laughs> so they the rest of the crew's hollering at me I'm at the boatyard. But anyway, they uh, you know it was a whole different set of whole different set of rules back then, and now we've become pretty dependent on either being saved or the mechanics to get us out of trouble. And she was old. I mean, she was built back in the, what, 60s? 1960. Yeah. I remember seeing her in Lunenburg back then. And she hasn't been maintained all those years at sea. She's been maintained as a as a uh, object of admiration or whatever, you know, something to look at. So a lot of cars were against her. Yeah. Have so I just, wanted to say it's a different situation now than it was back then. They, they couldn't turn around. They didn't have any backup systems. They had just themselves. And a big crew, a lot of manpower makes up for a lot of, and that discipline makes up for an incredible amount of mechanics. Well, and a lot of them didn't come back. They just disappeared. Exactly right. And yeah. that's what yeah. happened to a bunch of them, too. The boat started leaking, and, and again, no backup plan. Uh, we don't know whatever really happened to them, but that's what happened to them. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good that, uh, again, uh, most everybody was saved there. So, yeah. yeah. So I just want to throw that in there. You know, the way we do this stuff now and the way we do back then, two different things. Like I said, we didn't, we didn't have anywhere near the manpower they normally have. 17 people would be on half of one watch. Back. Yeah. So, really. What's your opinion, Havila, in the fact that uh, the boat was caulked last, I believe, in the year 2000? So it's been 12 years. Do you think that's uh, stretching it? 
I don't think so, no. I mean, the bucket is good for 30, 40, 50 years at a time. If it's right, um, I have no idea. I mean, it could be that her topsides were... Usually what happens is the topsides are leaking because they dry out. They're not in the water all the time. And when you start plunging your bound, <laughs> you see daylight right out through the side of a boat and use it all the time. Hmm. But if you get worse rough or put some cargo in it, then all of a sudden it starts leaking places it didn't normally leak. And when you're in that kind of a sea, that can happen. A lot of ways for water to get into a boat. Have well, I was just reading in a historical account of Egypt, uh, Frenchmen uh, fleeing back to Europe after Nelson had kicked their butt in, in uh, the Battle of uh, uh, Egypt Bay there. And uh, their boat's sinking on them, and they wash up in, in Italy. And on the way, this Greek guy comes to the captain and says, Captain, if you pay me, I'll save us. You know, and does, the captain doesn't even say to him, heck with you, you just save us anyway, buddy. You're saving yourself. So the Greek guy is diving into the hold and plugging the, the seams from the inside. And, again, yeah. too dangerous to do nowadays, you know. Yeah, well, send the kids down. We're not going to father a sail uh, around, put a sail around the outside of the hull and pump until we die at the pumps. It's just not done nowadays. So, yeah. And good. <laughs> good. Yeah, well, the one theory about the leather when they lost it was that uh, her cargo, deck cargo came free and busted her stations and opened the waterways up. You know, yeah. those waterways and bulwarks were made to be disposable a long time ago, but she was sort of too rugged and it tore the deck apart, and that's one theory about where the water went through. And one of my theories is they did not act to save themselves. Their deck was greasy from uh, oil spilling onto the deck board, and the captain wouldn't let anybody go up there. Too dangerous. And again, you got to do what you got to do. I guess we run boat talk out of time here, the bounty thing. Uh, could talk about that forever. Uh, boat talk heard second Tuesday of the month, boattalk.org. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next month. On the Wing with Rich Hillsinger, Back to the Music, is coming up next here on your community radio station. It's WERU-FM. Support for Boat Talk made possible in part by Gamble.